With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners through their subscriptions via Patreon, patreon.com slash word balloon if you like what you hear and see on word balloon and think it's worth i don't know a dollar a month the price of a comic book a month if you think so if you can swing it consider subscribing to word balloon via patreon patreon.com slash word balloon word balloon is also brought to you by aftershock comics aftershock is having a very big year especially uh, now in the month of august and into september uh really neat stuff coming up like miles to go a brand new series from b clay moore there's also kill a man coming in october mma action and drama from uh, steve orlando and philip kennedy johnson coming in november it's kaiju heist consider a tarantino movie with some godzilla sprinkled in sounds great it's coming in november and we'll have more details for that in the weeks and months ahead go to the website of aftershock you'll find full story descriptions preview pages of art and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at aftershockcomics.com hey everybody good afternoon and welcome back to mainframe comic-con we're in the midst of sunday and uh, i hope you're enjoying the panels as much as i am and this is a great opportunity to me for me because i've been meaning to talk to this uh, creator for some time and uh, i want to welcome erica schultz to uh, the conversation welcome erica hi how are you me too absolutely i'm doing good thank you i hope you're having a good afternoon we're still here we're still around and girl where are you uh, where are you located i'm in, here in jersey you're in jersey fantastic yeah. all right good deal How's the state uh, handling uh, COVID these days? Uh, I, they have a pretty decent handle on it, although people having, you know, 700 people house parties is a little strange, but, you know. No, I do know our, our own uh, Chicago mayor a couple weekends ago had to, <laughs> had to break up a beach party and literally like a mom, she's like, go home. Yeah. No fun. Sorry, kids. Get yeah. out of here now. And I mean, like, I get it. Know. I know people are like really stir crazy and stuff, um, but it's like, it's still kind of dangerous, you know? Totally. Absolutely. Well, thank God people like you are making good entertainment that, that people can enjoy in their homes. And uh, in fact, uh, Home is in the title of uh, Forgotten Home, a great uh, sci-fi story that you created as a comicsology original. Is, uh, is the uh, hard version of it, the paper version uh, coming out soon? Uh, the print copy is should be coming out uh, sometimes late th- sometime late this year, early next year. Um, COVID kind of put a um, put a wrench in uh, plans, um, but no, there will be a hard copy coming out. Um, the digital collected edition has the Bill Sienkiewicz cover, and the hard copy will also have the Bill Sienkiewicz cover. Looks great. I'm looking yeah. at a PDF of it right now. Is uh, is Vice's Press? Is that your company? Yes. Uh, Vices Press is actually, um, we first 
printed, we first um, published under Racist Press for M3 uh, because uh, Vicente Alcazar and I, who's the co-creator of M3, he and I, we um, sent it out to a bunch of publishers. We submitted it everywhere and everybody said no. So we said, all right, we're just going to do it for ourselves. So um, I created Vices Press in the States. Vicente is overseas and I created Vices Press in the States. And um, it literally, V-I-C is for Vicente and E-S is for Erica Schultz. So it's kind of like, you know, our two names put together because M3 was the first um, book that we put out. So um, so when uh, I had the... Uh, when I had the uh, partnership with Comixology Originals to do Forgotten Home... Uh, they said, do you have a publisher that you're putting it out through? And I was like, oh, yeah, I still have Vices Press. We'll do that. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you uh, thought of that. And I think that's great. Oh, and, I, you know, you'll forgive me. Obviously, I'm reading with these chats. It's got the Word Balloon logo on it. But that's uh, coming from our buddy Alec, who's producing right now. And, uh, yeah, don't for, again, uh, if you're watching on uh, the Word Balloon channel, we want you to go to Mainframe Comic Con and, and hit the donate button or go to hereinitiative.org. Because I'm sure, as I'm sure Erica is aware, uh, and I've been saying this at every panel, um, Hero Initiative, a lot of their fundraising happens at physical conventions. In fact, more than 80%. That has been taken away from us, unfortunately, due to COVID. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we're doing Mainframe, frankly. So we really want you to support Hero Initiative, a really important cause that not only takes care of uh, freelancers uh, when, when they're older, but I mean, I know of uh, creators now that had some hospital issues and didn't have great insurance, and thankfully we were able to get to a Hero Initiative and uh, and take care of them. So that's that's why we're here. Hero Initiative does a lot of really important things that I think people don't um, even realize. Especially people don't realize um, being a freelancer is kind of precarious. I mean, even in the best of times, and especially in a situation with COVID, where there are a lot of opportunities that. Um, either had to get uh, shelved or had to get, you know, even canceled, you know, um, you really count on that. um, You count on that, you know, uh, uh, basically budgeting saying, okay, I've got X amount of projects throughout the year. Well, when COVID happened, I know a lot of people unfortunately had, you know, projects canceled. So Hero Initiative really is there to help people out because, it, you know, it's the the bottom can drop out from under you, even in the best of times. So um, please do donate. Agreed. Did you reflexive or not reflexively, but because of the status quo, did you have a pencils down situation yourself? I did not. Um, I was very lucky in the sense that uh, we had already completed Forgotten Home. Um, and I was just putting together, I was working with a graphic designer, putting together the um, the collected edition with the back matter and such. But all the, um, I guess for lack of a better term, all the principal photography was already done on it. Um, so it was just a matter of collect of collecting everything. Um, I'm also an editor at Matt Cave Studios, and um, when we had a conversation, we had an editorial meeting, and they said we're not going to do pencils down. We're going to keep going. That's um, great. So I mean, it was it was great for the team that I was working with because we said, look, you know, this is something that you can count on. We are going full five issues. You know, let's do this. Um, unfortunately, I can't announce the team just yet but hopefully this fall we're going to be doing it. Um, okay. So, uh, but we are very excited. I, I get to work with um, Mike Mochio and um, and Steens, two fantastic editors, and Chris Sanchez, who's the editor-in-chief at Mad Cave. And it's a really great crew, and there's a lot of really good stuff coming out. Great to hear. And I know Mad Cave has several uh, panels to yes. close out today yes. that uh, people can watch right here at Mainframe. So 
that's that's good to hear as well. So forgive me, Erica, but give me your origin story. How'd you get into comics? Um, well, I always read comics as a kid, like a lot of people. Um, sure. I didn't start working in comics until um, about 2008. Uh, I had been working as an art director and copywriter in an ad agency in New York for many years. And um, I ended up uh, getting laid off like a lot of people did, especially in the 2007, 2008 around time. Uh, and I ended up getting a job as a background artist, uh, Photoshop artist, and uh, animator at a studio in New York City. And at the time, they were working on the Astonishing X-Men motion comic. Um, and so I was brought on to do some of the animation and Photoshop work for that. Am I correct? That was uh, Neil Adams was uh, uh, yeah, with that, wasn't it? Studios. Yeah, Continuity Studios. Um, so we were working on that and that was originally going to be a freelance position. Um, and then, so were you, and forgive me, were you at continuity then? Is that, is, uh, yeah, I was, I was there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Continue. And then I'll ask you about <laughs> continuity. Very good. Um, yeah, I was at continuity studios. Um, and, uh, originally that was going to be just for the, um, the, uh, astonishing Motion. excellent project. Uh, and I ended up staying on for about almost eight years. Wow. And uh, I got to, uh, I would do ink assists and color assists, uh, you know, digital backgrounds. Um, I did some penciling of backgrounds. I did a lot of, uh, I, I did lettering. I did animation. I, I pretty much got my, my art degree pretty much through Continuity Studios. Um, and then, uh, and I had been working as a writer uh, on M3 and Vicente Alcazar, who's the co-creator of M3, was actually working at the studio at the same time. So that's how we had met. Um, and uh, I was working as a writer. I was getting work from Marvel and DC and, and other publishers while I was at Continuity. Um, and then it got to the point where it was tough to sort of do the day job and write uh, so I made the leap to go full-time freelance. Um, and, you know, I, I still love the time that I had at Continuity. I, I learned an immense amount. Um, and uh, that's what really propelled me into going into comics as a career. Um, but the medium of comics, I've always really enjoyed. I've always uh, enjoyed visual storytelling, um, whether it's, you know, film, animation, um, comics, and things like that. So putting me into, you know, saying, oh, this is a, a, a viable career that I can actually do was uh, really came when I was working in continuity. That's amazing. And, you know, uh, I've had Neil on the show a few times and, uh, you know, uh, God, it, it is a job, but also it is a place to learn. And I know a lot of creators that went through continuity and stuff, yeah. you know, learned their chops uh, working for Neil and, and the various people over there. That's terrific. And uh, yeah, no, I'm not surprised to hear that. And again, it's something I didn't know about you. So that's why I'm like, wait, my continuity. Let's kind of talk about that for a second. That's that's outstanding. And hey, man, um, I don't know. And again, I, I'm only imprinting uh, my own observations of Neil and and the way he works and stuff. He's a tough boss, but I know too. What's great about that is if you you know if you can handle it and stuff, you know he's teaching. He can teach from a tough point of view but i mean he I, you know at this point in his career you know he's, he's kind of one who helps you get to the next level you well, know I so mean, i don't know yeah tell me about tell me about it and again forgive me for putting my own impressions it's okay on and, what might I mean, have been your experience anyone who's worked at continuity knows it's a proving ground um they really do uh and you know it's one of those like only the strong survive kind of things yeah um, and uh 
I, I, I'm lucky. I mean, I, I left, you know, of my own volition, um, in the sense that I was, I was getting, I was lucky enough to be getting enough work that I, I could leave. Um, and I felt like, uh, I was doing a disservice to both, you know, I understand. And, you yeah. know, so I, I didn't, I wanted to do one full rather than sort of half and half. Um, and, you know, and the team there, I mean, they totally respected that and wished me the best of luck. Um, but no, I mean, it, it is a tough place. There is, uh, because it's not just working on comics, you're working on comics, you're working on commercial art, you're doing um, advertising art, all kinds of stuff. And I had had yeah. a background in advertising uh, from working at an agency in New York. Okay. So so that that wasn't sort of the learning curve for me. But some of, some of the, um, I guess, some of the uh, behind the scenes of comic book production and such was new to me. Um, and I learned a great deal. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I basically got my, my art degree from working at Neil's studio for almost eight years. Um, and, and I got to work with some incredible creators and, you know, uh, and I met some really amazing people. Um, the reason why Bill Sienkiewicz does so many of my trade paperback covers is because I actually met Bill when I was working at Continuity. He was doing some inking for Neil and, um, and I had met him through that. And he has always been uh, an incredible support. Um, he's supported my work and just me personally. And, and, um, had I not worked a continuity, I would have never met Bell. That's outstanding. Now, before we get to, um, the book and uh, talking about forgotten home, I, uh, I do want to talk about this earlier project that you had as well. M3. So mm -hmm. tell us about M3. Well, M3 was the first, uh, comic project that I had ever, um, that I had ever worked on. Uh, it came to me, I, I had been in a car accident and, uh, oh. I, I had been. Uh, it took a bit for me to recuperate. I had some. I had some. Uh, some broken bones and some broken ego, um, and uh, I had been just sort of writing uh, as a way to sort of. Um, I get it was cathartic for me, so sure. I, I started writing the character of M three, and I didn't really know if there was. A, a, I didn't know where she would fit. It was just sort of you know get this out of your head. Um, and after working at continuity for a while and seeing the structure of comic scripts and things like that, I felt, oh, well, maybe this could be viable as a comic miniseries. Um, so I started working on that and, and working the story and pacing it more for a comic script. Um, and then I had uh, worked with Vicente and I showed him the script. He really enjoyed uh he really enjoyed the storyline, the characters and stuff. And we just started working together from that. Um, and like I said, we had uh, sent it out to multiple publishers, uh, pitched it to multiple publishers to try and uh, get someone to pick it up. And unfortunately, nobody would. So um, that's when we said, you know what? We really enjoy the story. We believe in this story. We're going to put it out ourselves. And, and, and so we did. And we ended up doing uh, two story arcs, 12 issues total um so yeah i mean it was the first thing that i did uh and there are parts that i look back and say oh i would have changed that i would have changed that um there are times when you when it's kind of freeing not really knowing the rules because you don't know you're breaking them uh sure. whereas now um I, I feel now my work is uh you know 10 years on it's a lot uh cleaner it's a lot more um streamlined it's a lot more refined but i can't sort of debase 
the work that I originally did because there's something in like the purity of it. Do you know what I mean? I do. Um, so, I mean, if I were to do M3 now, I would, you know, I wouldn't completely change it, but I would, there were definitely things that I would change to make it more streamlined, to make it feel a little more polished, I guess, for a better term. Yeah. Um, but I think as it stands, I, I think it stands pretty well on its own. Um, and it, it's really what, what launched me going forward. Tell, so what's this, what is the plot behind the two arcs of M3? Uh, M3, the first arc is about uh, an assassin who is being hunted by the, F by the FBI, a particular FBI agent. Uh, and the second arc, um, they end up uh, teaming up to solve a crime together. Uh, so he's on the right side of the law. She's on the wrong side of the law. But they find a way to sort of work together. Interesting. Oh, that's great. And is that still available? Is it out there to yeah. digitally or in um, print? Or? M3 is out digitally and in print. Uh, in print, you can get it in shops, uh, comic shops. You can also get it off my website, ericaschultzwrites.com. Um, you can also get it. It is through Comixology. Um, it is not a Comixology original, but it is on Comixology. And if I'm not mistaken, it is still the, tr the first trade paperback might still be on sale. I'm not sure. I know la okay. earlier this week it was it was on sale, but I think it might still be on sale. I'm not entirely sure. I I always appreciate um, the the difficulty in terms of promoting yourself and having to uh, you know contact sh local shops yeah. to get them to to carry your book. And uh, Sam Humphreys is a friend and has told me you know about that process. You know, were you you know really was it you like calling shop to shop and saying please you know let me tell you about my book and please carry it. Uh, well, what what we had done was we had actually gotten and we were approached when the first issue, when the first story arc, excuse me, um, was collected in a trade paperback. We were approached by Diamond at New York Comic Con Great. to see if we could, if Diamond could carry it. So once the first trade was uh, in Diamond, it was a matter of contacting shops just to say, hey, just so you know, this is it. Um, uh, one of the things that I do that it can, you know, and I'm very privileged that I sort of budget for this, but I always have like little postcards made up with your diamond code and things like that. Um, and I, you know, I have a list of comic shops and I just slap on the labels and slap on the stamps and throw, you know, throw them That's in the mail kind of thing. Um, because even though you still have an ad in diamond, it is still tough to get traction if you're not a huge publisher. Oh my God, absolutely. So, Good Lord, it's like, you know, that big. Good luck. Exactly. You know, for it being exactly. seen in a big catalog, absolutely. Well, the other thing that someone told me that I didn't realize in the beginning was that the Diamond Catalog is uh, alphabetical. So Vice's Press is all the way in the back because of V. And I'm like, oh, if I knew that, it would have been like Aardvark or something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we, we ended up you know, going to a lot of shops, um, you know, some shops I even showed up and said, Hey, how's it going? You know, I have this new book coming out, you know, maybe you'd like to, you know, if, if you have clientele that like sort of like cat and mouse crime thriller kind of stuff, maybe this is it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, you have to go out there and you have to push yourself and you have to push your, your work and it is, it can be uncomfortable, but, I feel that if you don't believe in the work enough to do that and to sort of get over that that hump of uncomfortability, then nobody else is going to believe in it. Um, so it, it really it really is a, a necessary evil part of it. So, 
no question. And I'm glad to see that. And also, uh, Alec just put up that uh, all uh, 12 issues are available for uh, 99 cents at Comixology. So that's there you great. Go. Okay, so there so you go for the price. Price of one trade, you get uh, you get two. That's excellent. There you and there, go. And yeah, and there's Erica's website as well, ericaschultzwrites.com. That's great. All right, now we can uh, get into uh, Forgotten Home, and uh, yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the current project and everything. So uh, yeah, tell the inspiration behind this uh, story. Tell me about it. Um, well, Forgotten Home originally, um, it's kind. It was originally kind of the anti Frozen. Um, when Frozen first came out, everybody was, you know, singing that song and, and everything. And I I thought about a story about instead of two sisters sort of like coming together and loving each other and getting, I thought about the story about two sisters hating each other. Um, and I, I was working on that. And then um, that sort of ended up breaking off into another story. And uh, the sort of leftover bits from that um, that other story that I'm hoping to work with a, an artist later next year with, um, I sort of swept them together and sort of those were the seeds for Forgotten Home. Uh, but the idea is basically uh, there's a, a young woman named uh, Lorraine Adelette who is not from around here. She's not from Earth. Uh, I won't say she's an alien, but she's just not an Earthling. Um and she comes from another world called Janata. And uh, in this other world, there is this longstanding war between these two factions of people. And Lorraine ran away when she was uh, 16, 17 years old, because as the princess, as the heir apparent, she was supposed to be the general and lead the, the army. And she didn't believe in the war and she didn't want anything to do with it. So she ran away. Um, she's now on earth. She has a family and, uh, she's a police officer and there are a bunch of children that start going missing in and around the area that she lives. So she starts investigating and she still has her magical abilities on earth. But what happens is as she goes and investigates these crime scenes, she realizes that there's residual magic. So she knows that something that she has to sort of follow the clues and go back home. And once she goes back home, there's a whole mess of things that she has to deal with. The people that she left when she, you know, escaped, her mom who's still the queen, you know, uh, the, you know, the literal evil queen kind of thing. Um, and sort of this destiny that had been, always been written about her being the leader of this um of the army and, you know, a destiny that she has pushed off for as far and as long as she could. Understood. It's very interesting because in a lot of ways, there's similarities to uh, Marvel's uh, empire event that's going on right now. And the, I, and the know, I haven't even started reading empire yet. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even started reading it yet. It's on, it's on my pull list along with, you know, I just have the stack of comics that just keeps growing. I hear you, buddy. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. We'll get into that in a minute. Tell me about uh, Marika Cresta, your uh, your collaborator. How'd you get together? Why? You know, did you did you want her for the uh, you know assignment? Well, how did how, how did it happen? Um, there's a fantastic editor named James Emmett uh, who is working with me on a few other projects, and um, James and I were talking, and uh, I was saying, you know, I'm looking for a uh, for an artist a collaborator for Forgotten Home. And he had given me a few names and Marika was one of them. 
And at the time, I had seen some of the work that she had done on X-Men and Power Pack. And I was like, wow, this is just like, this is rising star. Um, and I approached her and she was available and, and ready and willing. And really, she just, I mean, to say she brought her A-game is, is an absolute understatement. Um, but really just fantastic work. Um, and Matt Edmonds, uh, his colors really just made everything pop and really just work really well. I am right now, as we're speaking, just scrolling through a different computer and looking at the PDF. It is a gorgeous book. Yeah. And both of them absolutely are A-level uh, talents. And it, it's great to see this kind of uh, production come together like this. So no, I give you guys credit. And um, and also, too, that it's a Comixology original. So was that an opportunity that was presented to you to, to start with them first? Yeah, I had... Um... I had spoken with a few of the people from Comixology because I had um, already had M3 uh, put up on yeah. Comixology for a while. And I was talking to the Comixology people and they were explaining that they were going to be doing an originals line. Um, and, you know, they asked if I would be willing to pitch. And I said, oh, yeah, of course. So um, I pitched them a Forgotten Home and, you know, uh, Chip Mosher, the, um, my point person there, was yep. like, this is great. Let's do this. And um, a lot of the other places that we had pitched the story, they really wanted to sort of break it down to more five or six issues, whereas the original story was um, was paced out for eight always. And I know that that was kind of a sticking point, especially with smaller publishers, because like, I get it, like there's a price point that has to be dealt with. And, you know, okay. you know, people are sort of risk averse. Uh, when it comes to longer arcs, and I and I get that, um, but I, I really give Comicsology a lot of credit for letting us go the full eight, and um, and really being able to tell the full story um, because there are a lot of um, there are a lot of side characters that I'm able to give their due with eight full issues, whereas if it was forced to be five or six these would be sort of just quick anecdotes. And um, there's a lot of social commentary in the story that you get to actually, you know, um, develop and relationships that you get to develop in eight issues that, again, would have been really, you know, like cutting room floor at five or six. So um, so I, I really do thank Comixology and Chip uh, very much for for letting us go the full eight. That's refreshing to hear because I, again, looking at some of the things that DC and Marvel did, it's like this really should have been a few more issues. So it's great that you've got that flexibility to tell the story the way you want to tell it. And, uh, you know, what um, as the hard copy comes out later this year, do we know the retail price of what it will uh, be? I do not know off the top of my head. No, okay. uh, it is, it is, uh, it's significant. It's like uh, 200 and I think it's 204 pages total. Okay. Um, cause we have some back matter in there. We've got yeah. process, we've got, um, we've got all kinds of stuff. Um, Yazelle Ayala, who is a fashion designer who's worked in uh, film and television, uh, she designed some of the gowns. Oh, that's great. Um, so Very I have, elaborate in the story. Absolutely. Exactly. So I have her original um, fashion sketches next to Marika and Matt's artwork. So we have sort of that side by side. So you have that, you know, and, and I, I love the look of fashion sketches because they're so stylized with like the incredibly elongated bodies and things like that. Absolutely. And so, so we have like Yazelle's beautiful sketches next to 
you know, um, Marika and Matt to show, you know, how they did the same boss embroidery, how they did, you know, every character had sort of a symbol um, and such, and how they really sort of, um, they translated that uh, uh, very faithfully to uh, Yuzel's original sketches, yeah. That's amazing. And I don't know, you know, again, forgive me, because I'm not a I'm not a sewer, I'm not a cosplayer uh, person, but I have known in the last few years that in the world of cosplay that a few of the uh is it McCall's the the design the like different people that make patterns for well, just dressmaking. And then simplicity I know does patterns too. Okay. So yeah, I was yeah. wondering if, you know, you know, going even one step further and maybe talking to them because I and I have no idea what needs to happen for that. But I just I do love that you know somebody in the in the sewing and, and make you know make dressmaking business is like wait a minute like we should be talking to these people because they I would love it. I mean if that would if, be great. I would love it. Uh, a very close friend of mine, uh Shannon Lee Reeve, who's a, a an actress, um you know, she has said to me, she wants to cosplay. And, and I asked Giselle and Giselle said, send her, you know, send her the, 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 um, the sketches. Oh, the sketch is great. Yeah. I mean, I I would love it if, you know, cause if somebody from Simplicity or wherever, if you want to work with me and Giselle on doing, you know, cosplay dresses and I'm, totally down for that because they're gorgeous designs and I would love to get that out or even, you know, riffs on them. I mean, you know, yeah. Well, that's the great thing. Cause, cause like you said, they have that great inner, they, or this is my observation. We haven't said it yet. They have that great interplanetary look. Yes. They absolutely would be even, even if people don't know that they're, uh, you know, cosplaying forgotten home, that actually it would absolutely fit in at a convention and and they are they're great designs they're terrific you know drawings and stuff so uh, that's exciting for the back matter what other kind of uh, like you said process pages but uh, process. any essays any any other things like uh, that I you're adding in I didn't write any essays um, I did uh, what I did was I would put a script page and I would show uh, Marika's uh, roughs versus her finished inks and then sure. uh, and then Matt's um, color. Also, uh, Natasha Altarici, who was our interior cover artist, um, did the last two covers are homage covers. One is a Frank Miller homage. The other is a uh, Brian Boland homage. And um, I I reached out to Marvel to get permission to do so, to have, to show the Frank Miller 181 uh, cover, and then have the, uh, then show what Natasha did. Uh, it's issue number seven. It's probably my favorite comic cover in the history of all comic covers. Um, it really, it's it's fantastic. So I, I reached out to Marvel uh, to get the go ahead, um, uh, and I said, you know, I did write Daredevil, so you know, can I do this, please? <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of uh, a lot of fun issues, a lot of fun points. Um, Kevin Maher, who's actually the uh, logo artist and the graphic designer on the book uh, did a cartoon version, almost kind of like a, a Scotty Young kind of version um, uh, cover that we also have in there as well. That's amazing. That's excellent. Yeah. Scotty's one of my favorite people in comics, a good friend. That's excellent. Um, tell me about your Daredevil run. 
Oh, I I was very lucky. I got to do uh, one of the um, one of the annuals back in 2018. Um, okay, and I was asked they were. You know, the editor, the editor came to me and said, you know, we want to do a story that's, you know, sort of like street level, gritty crime. You know, you did M3, you did 12 Devils Dancing. That was the street level gritty crime stuff. Oh. Uh, let's, you know, see what you can come up with. So I was like, okay, well, it's going to be in the past. It's going to focus on Misty Knight and her partner. Um, Colleen so, Wing? Uh, no, we didn't have Colleen Wing in it. I, I get, uh, sh- this is pre, uh, pre-Bionic Arm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So this is That's N- great. This is NYPD Misty. Oh my God. Eric, yeah. I got to pick up your annual. Go on. I love this. Keep so going. so it, I basically pitched the idea of like French connection with superheroes. Wow. So, That's So yeah. So it's, it's very like, it's very, you know, gritty seventies. It, it's got a very specific look. Um, and, uh, I, I, and, um, um, Marcio Takara was the artist on it. And of course, Marcio is fantastic. Okay. And uh, so we have like great, like really like nice, harsh inks. Uh, it really is a, is a beautiful looking book. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically a story, you know, and, and it's the seventies in New York city. So we can still work with, you know, the five families and, you know, get into yes. sort of the mobsters yeah. and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the other interesting thing is that Matt Murdoch is not in the book. It's only daredevil that's in the book. Oh. We never see Matt Murdock. I had actually had a scene where Matt was in it, but we had to cut it for time. Okay. So, um, so that's the other interesting thing because Misty never interacts with Matt. She only interacts with Daredevil and Misty at this time because she herself is isn't a superhero just yet. She's kind of you know very um, very cynical against the heroes. You know, well, if you're a hero, then why do you cover your face? Like, what are you afraid of? Is he in the red outfit or is he in his pre? No, he's in the red. He's not in the the ketchup and mustard outfit, which (laughs) I know. (laughs) The original look. I know the original look, which I I, I get it. I get it. I just don't get it. Why do you think they changed it? Exactly. But good Lord, it wasn't even 10 issues when they changed it. It was terrible. you know, as and and truly, hey, man, I'm I'm, I'm much older than you, but I, I read it first. And when I first saw Daredevil, he was in the red outfit. And then I got a reprint of a Daredevil early annual or whatever they were called back in the day. And it had his first uh, encounter with Electro. And he was in the red and gold outfit. And I'm like, all right, what the hell is <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it's not the best look. It really isn't. But, well, know, he's blind. I guess that's the excuse. I mean, <laughs> you know, at this really... point, at this point, you know, it's, it's water into the bridge. Oh, um, yeah. But no, I love it. Seriously, this sounds amazing, and I'm really excited to read it. So continue. So yeah, um, we get to work with. Uh, I got to work with Marcio Takara. Um, uh, I believe uh, Salvatore Ayala was the uh, was the colorist. Forgive me for not remembering the colorist's name. Okay. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And um, when New York Comic Con came around, my brother actually uh, had won a raffle where you could get something signed by Frank Miller. So he wow. brought he brought up my copy of Daredevil and had Frank Miller sign it, which I thought was really cool. That's fantastic. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, you know, the last hour I just wrapped up a panel with Zdarsky, and he said, he's like, make sure you tell Erica I said hello. And I'm like, I absolutely will. So hello, here we go. Rip. 
<laughs> That's terrific, man. All right, now you you, you know I'm I'm really sorry, but you just opened a can of worms in terms oh. of uh, got to talk about crime movies from the seventies and oh, God. Okay. Uh, which obviously are your influences. So no, tell me about some of your favorite movies. Well, I mean, obviously French Connection. Although I thought it was funny when I read an article about uh, one of the sergeants who dies in the movie but didn't die in real life. I, I thought that, oh. that was so funny because I was like, oh man, this movie is like ripped from the headlines. It's totally real. And then I was reading this article and it's like, oh, so he didn't die. Interesting. Well, artistic okay. license, you know. Exactly. Um, but I mean, I was never super into the Bronson, you know, Death Wish and things like that. That's more uh-huh. 80s and stuff. Sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, I I used to watch movies with my dad. I would watch the Dirty Harry and 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 uh, and some of the Bronson movies and, and the original Rambo and things like that. Um, sure. Yes. First Blood, really, because I, I understand I understand the progression with Rambo yeah. and everything else, but that first movie and really the novel are really great stories. And I, yeah. And I, yeah. So go on, please. And I thought that they were, uh, I haven't read the novel, but from those people that I know who have, I, I think the, the taking from the novel to the screen was done well. Yes. Uh, and I think that that's an interesting thing that happens. I mean, because a lot of times there are films now that are being made from uh, existing IP, whether it's um, comics or or uh, novels or whatever. And that translation from novel to film um, can be kind of, can make people kind of prickly sometimes. Very um, disappointing and a lot. Do you, do you know, I mean, I'm a big Robert Parker fan mm-hmm. and I love the character of Spencer. And I, listen, Mark Wahlberg, fine actor. And if you take out thinking of the Spencer novels and take that Netflix movie that just came out in the spring on its own, it's very entertaining. It just isn't Spencer. And I'd say the same thing about Jason Statham. I love a lot of Jason Statham's movies, but they remade um, the Parker character that God, you know, Darwin Cook did so well adapting the Westlake novels as he did through his life. And uh, oh, it is so not Parker. And it's, I mean, that's from a couple of years ago. And then you're right. I mean, no, and I, and you don't want to be an ass. I mean, really, you don't want to be one of those fans. One of those people, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, there's an expectation. And it's like, well, you know, you I know, mean, this isn't that. <laughs> I think you can make, I think you can make a good story. Um, you just don't have to call it Spencer. You don't have to call it Parker. Um, I agree. I think that the, adherence to that name or something uh it, it almost hamstrings the creators i can appreciate that too sure you know um sure. and i think that i mean let's be honest someone will always find something to complain about with whatever it is you know whatever oh yeah you know, whether, it's, or, yeah. whether it's a comic you know being adapt you know adapted or a novel or whatever i do have to say that um one of the adaptations that they made a change to in the film that i actually appreciated was especially in the lord of the rings novels and i mean they made several adaptations obviously but um the lord of the rings novels there you know there's the scepter that um that gets passed to aragorn where it didn't really make sense unless you you come from a very you know monarchy kind of central uh, culture. So the fact that it's the sword in the film that's reforged that that's handed to Aragorn mm-hmm. that made more sense just um, 
you know, thematically for the film, but also in terms of plot and everything. And, and it's, you know, but that was a major, that was a major difference. And I'm sure this was pre Twitter. So I'm sure there were people still complaining on message boards about it, but that was something that I noticed as a difference. But I was like, Oh, but you know, but it really works. It actually, it, 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 not that it was ever an issue in the book because it never became like this weird sticking point, but for the way the film was going, that change really, I think, made it even even more um, even more powerful. I think, but that's just me. And I, I mean, I love Tolkien, but I'm not I'm not like Steve Colbert Tolkien fan. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not that far. Well, or even um, you know, I I just talked recently, and in fact, he's got a panel today, um, Greg Rucka about uh, his adaptation of The Old Guard. Yeah. For Netflix, and no, it's different enough from from the the comic books, and and it's good because then there's also that whole thing too of we don't just want a, a literal adaptation. I mean, that is the complaint about uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, for example, mm-hmm. that there's really nothing new, and that's why it was so great that Lindelof, I think, succeeded so well in the the sequel series that he did for HBO. But yeah, that's like you want you want to give fans of the property something new to enjoy and consider and i think uh, you know greg achieved that definitely in the in the old guard adaptation uh and and yeah no i so i agree with that you know i was talking man i don't mean to keep name dropping but i, I want to make again i have a feeling i don't know if you know these people or again they are like-minded like us i was talking to david walker on friday night and uh we were discussing and i don't know if you've seen the documentary on netflix uh, it's called euro crime and it's all about the italian crime movies of the 70s and i don't know how much you uh, you're nodding so it's good have you have you dipped into that you know genre of italian film or I'm, are you aware of the documentary i'm i'm aware of the documentary it is on my list it is on my netflix um queue uh i have not seen it yet unfortunately okay. uh i have my my free 30 days of hulu so i've been like binging all my hulu stuff for the past 30 days i get it try and get as much as i can out of my free 30 days i understand um, what are you watching on Hulu really fast? That's a good tangent. Let's um, I'm, I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching Bob's Burgers that I'm catching up on. I'm watching um, The Awesomes. I'm watching. Cloak oh, I watch The Awesomes. Go on, yes. Uh, Cloak and Dagger, Runaways, um, Looming Tower. Uh, yes. Trying to think what else. Are you watching Solar Opposites? The sci-fi. Oh yes, Solar version. Opposites. Is that uh, great? Crossing Swords. Oh, I gotta um, watch that. Very good. I'm trying to think. My my friend Daryl Taylor, who's a podcaster. Um, I know Daryl absolutely. Daryl was telling me he's like, you got to get Hulu, you got to get Hulu, and I was like, oh, fine. What would I watch on it? And he gave me like a whole list of stuff. So I'm like trying to get through all of this before my 30 days are up. <laughs> no, I get it absolutely. You know, I I guess I justified buying it in terms of all right, well, I'm not going to Starbucks as often as I am. And it is only like the price of like a latte or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, all right. And and also much like Daryl, I don't know if Daryl does it, but I'm like, well, I am podcasting. I'm like, I can write this off as a business expense. So, you know, because I end up talking, I mean, thankfully I've got showrunners that I do get to talk to on Word Balloon as well. So that's, that's kind of fun. But yeah, it was so funny. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a massive Star Trek fan and I like Lower Decks. And I'm rooting for Lower Decks. I haven't seen Lower Decks yet. Although, again, it's on my list. I understand. But uh, all these friends were like, well, you got to see Solar Opposites. In fact, Dan Slott is like, you got to see Solar Opposites. And I'm like, 
I don't know about it. He said, oh, it's on Hulu. And that's what kind of pushed me over. But you're right. Looming Tower is fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah. No, this is – Erica, I'm telling you, this is fantastic. I'm finding a lot of common ground with you. This is – it's great to talk about this stuff. And, and yeah, so um, beyond uh, – Euro Crime is going to be great, and I would even – recommend watching it more than the actual Italian crime films of the 70s because they are kind of clunky. But I think the aesthetic comes through in the documentary. And certainly given what you've already written, mm -hmm. I think would definitely be interesting, inspirational stuff to kind of look at and then get ideas. And when you mentioned the French Connection, uh, have you seen the sequel? Not. It's good. You know, honestly, because there's so it's so rare. And it's interesting going from uh and now i'm blanking um william friedkin doing mm -hmm. the original frankenheimer john, the great john frankenheimer made the second movie and it really is it's kind of one of those forgotten sequels that i'm i'm really glad when i read new critics you know find discover it and go you know actually it's a really good second chapter of popeye doyle so if you enjoy the characters in one you will like them in two. And, I, and I'm and i in that camp as well. So there, there's another thing. I'm wary. I'm wary of it. Just because. I wouldn't be. I, I don't. I mean, obviously, there are no perfect films. Sure. Um, but French Connection is pretty damn solid. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. So Absolutely. The, Have you so, seen other Frankenheim uh, movies in general? Uh, in general, yes. I mean, I, I don't. I. I He's not a director that I literally like. I have to see this. I have to see. I mean, that's more my husband. Okay. My husband was uh, was uh, went to film school, so so he has okay. sort of like the list of films that he's seen by everybody. Um, but no, <laughs> I like him already. Go on. <laughs> but but I mean, sometimes I think that uh, sometimes I think that when sequels are made, sometimes they're just sort of like watered down right. version, you yeah. know, of yes. the original. Absolutely. So I'm a little wary of it also because, I mean, the, the thing that was so important about French Connection was that it was related to a real a, a real life situation, a real life crime. So I was and so I'm now I'm wondering, I was like, well, does the second one have anything to do with, you know, is it just sort of like the further adventures of Popeye Doyle or is it, you know, does yeah, it have anything to do with like real crime? I don't know. That's a fair question. I'm not sure if it is based on a on a true incident that Doyle or someone else dealt yeah. with. Um, mentioning the five families, have you watched that Netflix uh, documentary about the five families during the seventies? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Crazy um, stuff. And 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 I grew up, you know, just outside of New York. My you know grandparents are still in the Bronx. You know, okay. in the seventies and eighties. So I I I grew up in that sort of time. You know, we, we knew what was going on. Yep. You know, yep. Um, so it's it's interesting now as an adult, you know, when you're a kid, you know, weird stuff's going on, but you don't you don't understand it. You don't understand the context. Um, and you also you have no words to articulate how you feel about it. Um, and now as an adult, knowing what went on and then sort of like revisiting it. It's it's interesting to be like, oh wow, you know, it really was, you know, uh, you know, all oh, God, that crazy, yeah. all that, you know, it really oh, was yeah. as bad as they say, if not worse, kind of thing. Um, and 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 I mean, my we would visit my grandparents in the Bronx, you know, every other weekend, kind of thing. So so we we weren't in the thick of it, but we were still present, you know, for a lot of this stuff. Um, and yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, one thing that I. I know that this was a uh, a show that was 
lauded and, you know, you know, everybody speaks so well of it, but I was never really a big fan of Sopranos just in general. And I'm not, never really a big fan of, um, you know, gangster stuff in general. And, and it's probably because like my family's off the boat from Italy. And the first thing that you think of is, oh, here's a girl from New Jersey who's Italian. You know, uh, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I do know, buddy. I my family was right off the boat from Greece, and I understand. No, you go right on ahead. I mean, I I get it. I totally so get I mean, it. for you, everybody thinks you own a diner, and for we me, all did, and we all did. But and for me, everybody thinks that we're in sanitation. You know, <laughs> or construction. sanitation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you, but no, and and truly. Much like yourself, my my grandparents came over, and my father was in the thick of it. And and, and as you say, growing up as I did in the seventies and eighties, uh, my prom I took a girl to a restaurant based on my father's recommendation, not knowing that it was a Chicago gangster joint. And it's like, oh, okay, uh, I okay, all right, fine. It just it was part of the community, yeah. and we didn't know. And truly growing up around it and I was in the suburbs and you know whatever you know all happy and stuff but uh no as I've I've learned more and stuff hey my fan I'll I'll admit it uh my family they weren't they weren't in the business but they worked with people in the business and in fact I had a cousin this is a sad story he was a he was a doctor that would perform uh back alley abortions uh for people but also um Antoinette Giancana, Sam Giancana's daughter, had a had an unwanted pregnancy, and he took care of it. And um, Giancana found out and chased him out of Chicago, tracked him down to Arizona, and killed him. And so, and they, it, we had these family albums of this doctor. Yeah, it's cool, Eric. It's cool. And it, it, I mean, this is. I don't know if I can curse, but holy shit! It's fine. You could totally swear. It's it's fine. No, and oh my we, God. my sister and I would be at you know family gatherings and they'd crack out the the fat the family photo albums and these black and white photos from the 50s of uncle bill and then, oh that's uncle bill we don't talk about uncle bill that's all we heard and then in in this in the chicago tribune sunday magazine much like the times sunday magazine there were excerpts of antoinette's autobiography and my sister and she's like hey remember uncle bill that we don't talk about yeah she's like check out sunday's paper and we're both like <clears throat> Who knew? My God. And it's like, so yeah, man, no, it's, I, I totally respect where you're coming from. And, and yeah, so I've, uh, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting black chapter in the Sutras family uh, book. So yeah. what do you That's insane. No, I mean, I, (laughs) unlike you, we didn't have a connection to it. All right. Very good. Good for you. But right, that fear of the stereotype. I'm with you, buddy. there, There was always, there was always the stereotype of that. Uh, which I always felt kind of, you know, kind of uncomfortable about. Um, but, you know, that's, that, that is my own personal BS, you know, my own personal hang up that, and I don't begrudge anybody for their, their love of Mario Puzo or, uh, or of Coppola. I mean, but fantastic you're telling storytellers. You're, yes, but you're also, te- you know, it, it hasn't shied you away from telling crime stories. And I think that's No, great. not at all. Not at all. I mean, and, and M3 is an immigrant from Italy who's an assassin, you know. Um, well, what I try and do is I try and, and add a little more depth to it. This way it's not so one-dimensional um, because I think that um, I think that sometimes these characters can be one-dimensional. Um, having, 
you know, read up on uh, Godfather and things like that, even though, you know, I know people think it's a perfect film and everything. And that's, you know, I'll, I'll just leave that there. Um, I, I know that pretty much the only character that was really developed was Michael and, you know, and had like an arc, whereas everybody else was just sort of like mustache twirling totally. kind of thing. Yes. Um, so, so I respect that having like a, a character arc, having a story arc. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't shy away from the genre. I just try and, and, and make sure that, that people are seen as multidimensional. You know, it's really easy for people to just be like, they're bad, they're good. You know, that's who you hate. That's who you root for. Um, and, and that's fine. And there are plenty of stories that, that are very, very, you know, quick paced and things like that. Yes. I just like adding things. I, I like making things a little more complicated because yeah. I want people to think a little bit more. Um, but there's nothing wrong with just sort of check your brain at the door entertainment. I mean, like that's why fast and furious movies are like so popular and good for them. They're making a hell of a lot of money with it. No, absolutely. And you know, isn't it interesting too, that, uh, Godfather, uh, Puzo's original story appeared in men's magazines that were even tighter than just a paperback novel. And, um, you know, they were yes, serialized, right? They were serialized. Yes, it was absolutely, yeah, and and also by a by a publisher that also you know it was Marvel's magazine division, and Puzo even tried comics for a while and just didn't feel like he that was a strength and everything. But yeah, he was literally like a like a sixties pulp writer prior to the Godfather really hitting as big as it did. So yeah. I'm I'm fascinated by a lot a lot of the stuff, and I will admit this doesn't read very well by today's so social mores. And I yeah. get that, but formatically I am fascinated by the men's magazine stories. And I do think it's an interesting genre and also an opportunity to tell more complex stories, allowing for today's social mores. And I was even uh, saying that with, um, with fraction about adventure man, the series he's doing with Terry Dobson, where we can re examine the tropes of, international intrigue and foreign intrigue and pulps and do it much more balanced. And that, you know, the, 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 the foreigners are not just natives that grunt and the women are not damsels in distress and everything. So it's, it is a, an interesting opportunity to play with the basic themes, you know? So. And I mean, tropes exist because, you know, it's it, all these tropes and stereotypes exist because one person was that way. And then it's like, oh, that, everybody's got to be that way, you know. Um, and when it comes to certain writing, um, tropes are helpful, for lack of a better term, because you don't have to explain. You don't have to go through this whole exposition of who this person is and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And I get that. And and I'm actually, I teach writing at the Kubert School. So I oh, that's great. Something, this is something that I, I, you know, talk to the students about. At the same time, you don't want people to be just the bad guy, just the good guy, you know, just the, the love interest, you know, just the friend, you know, kind of thing. You want them to have a little more room. And I think that getting back to Forgotten Home, yes. if we hadn't been given our, you know, the full eight issues, yep. I fear that a lot of the characters who really enrich and make the story way more colorful would have been just just this person, just that person, just whatever. Yeah. Um, and having the full eight issues 
gave us the opportunity to give them agency, to give them, you know, more than just a one-liner, you know, to really show um, their backstory and to show some some meat of their personality and to show that they're not just, I'm always going to do this or I'm always going to do that, like to show that they're complex. Agreed. Absolutely. So do we want people to wait for the trade or do we want them to go to Comixology and pick well, up the eight get, issues now? They can get the they can get the trade on Comixology. If they are digital okay. people, you can get the collected edition is available on Comixology. Um, if you want to wait for print, you can wait for print. It's up to you. Unfortunately, I don't have a print date yet. No, it's cool. Yes. But is the back matter included in the digital trade? Yes. The back oh, matter that's right is, here. Yes, yes. Basically- okay. The file I sent to Comixology for the digital trade is the same file got, that got sent over to uh, to the uh, printer to print out. So yeah, it's the same. It's the same stuff. So you get all the fun back matter in the trade. Um, you get to see Natasha's fantastic cover and uh, the side by side with uh, Frank Miller's cover, and uh, you get to see Kevin's work and Yazelle's work, and um, and Marika and Matt did just a bang up job on the interiors. Sounds great. No, it's it's a beautiful book, and uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Well, when the trade is coming out, please come back to Word Balloon, Absolutely. and we'll have if Absolutely. not at mainframe, but let's let's talk more because uh, yes, I think we found common ground. And I will, uh, I'll do my homework and, and read more and uh, I'll be able to talk to you more with more command of uh, some of your past work. But seriously, it's a pleasure to meet you, Eric. And honestly, so I, much, congratulations on, on the Forgotten Home. Tremendous uh, book that's uh, worth your attention, everybody. Waiting for you at Comixology during COVID when we're all locked down and uh, hopefully uh, soon to be coming to your local comic shop, uh, the, the trade version. But it was a pleasure. And uh, we're going to continue uh, the crime genre with David Pepos in just a few minutes, I'm going to take a break because I'm going to comb my hair and uh, take care of a few things because right now I'm a little crazy. But uh, but no, honestly, Eric, it was, it was a pleasure meeting you and talking to you for this hour. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, John. Excellent. And we'll be back with uh, David Pepos at uh, 4.30 Eastern in about five minutes uh, right here on Mainframe Comic Con. Lots of other great panels happening as well, but I don't want to drive people away. Uh, we're going to have a nice crime conversation with David. So. Thank you very much, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners through their subscriptions via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. If you like what you hear and see on Word Balloon and think it's worth, I don't know, a dollar a month, the price of a comic book a month, if you think so, if you can swing it, consider subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Aftershock is having a very big year, especially uh, now in the month of August and into September. Uh, really neat stuff coming up, like Miles to Go, a brand new series from B. Clay Moore. There's also Killaman coming in October. MMA action and drama from uh, Steve Orlando and Philip Kennedy Johnson. Coming in November, it's Kaiju Heist. Consider a Tarantino movie with some Godzilla sprinkled in. Sounds great. It's coming in November. We'll have more details for that in the weeks and months ahead. Go to the website of Aftershock. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Thanks a lot for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2020. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy.